Welcome back to another episode of Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm your host, Jack Llewellyn. It's uh, been about two weeks since our last podcast, and uh, though I tried to do this every week, uh, there were a couple of reasons why I wasn't able to. The first is I moved, and uh, even though I was only moving about 0.6 miles away from my old house, uh, moving sucks. So there was that issue. And then more importantly, and we'll talk about this in a few moments, uh, I was in Guadalajara for a good portion of last week, and uh, that also made it a little bit difficult to actually do the podcast. So been a couple of weeks. If, um, if you were with us for the last episode two weeks ago, we really started talking about the last narc, and we were talking about the internal inconsistencies in the last narc. Uh, you know, things where uh, you know, Hector Brea says one thing and the witnesses, Lopez Romero or Godoy, says something else. Or what's said in the last narc is different than was said in Hector's book. Um, other than Asian Brea's book and The Last Narc, we tried to stay away from too much external evidence. We're going to do that again today, really just looking at the internal inconsistencies. Okay, But before we get into that, uh, we also talked last week that we were going to have a little bit of a Caro Quintero update every week. So... Uh, you know, it was interesting when I was in Guadalajara this week, I was able to talk to some people. I was able to listen to some news and kind of see what the Mexican temperature on things is, so to speak. It seems to me that uh, as being is being reported internally, you know, domestically, there's a, not a great deal of appetite on the part of the Mexican government to immediately give Caro Quintero over for... Uh, extradition. It seems that they are more interested or might more likely to want to have Carl serve the remainder of his sentence in a Mexican uh, facility before they even really talk about extradition. In any event, we know that he's fighting extradition. We know that that can be a longer process. The other thing we did find out last week, if you read some some news articles, uh, the Washington Post had an article about this. Apparently, the degree of cooperation between the Mexican uh, Navy or the Mexican Marines who captured Caro and elements of the U.S., particularly the DEA, but probably other agencies as well, uh, that degree of cooperation was probably more than uh, we were aware of initially. Query again, how does that really play in Mexico? How does that play in with the Mexican uh, command, the Mexican government? Not really sure. We talked about last week that, um, you know, there's rumors that some people were intentionally left out of the loop on their knowledge about Caro Quintero, um, you know, and the raid that actually um, captured him for fear that, uh, Carl would be tipped off yet again as he has been uh, several times in the past. So that's really it. Unless there's something really exciting, I don't think we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Carl Quintero, but we will keep um, up with what's going on in the news and make sure that we have this little uh, update 
every week or at least every episode. So then, as I said, I was in Guadalajara last week. A couple of things that were interesting. You know, people ask me, what are the, what stands out the most to you? And really, there's two things that stand out. Um, and, and I'm being a little bit facetious in both of them. But the first is, uh, apparently, traffic laws in Guadalajara are far more of suggestions than requirements. Um, and... <laughs> They have roads going everywhere and left turns that don't make sense to me and, and everything. Thank God I had a driver. Um, as I was going back to the airport, I walked past a lot of rental car places, and I was like, oh, God, no. I would never drive there. Uh, the other thing that was interesting is the military presence, both in police and National Guard and, and even just guards at the malls, uh, is way more prevalent. You see you know, military uh, styled or almost you know, SWAT dressed police officers on lots of street corners. You see National Guard um, trucks with armed men standing in the back quite often. It's a little bit shocking. Um, and I'm not sure that it's something that's disconcerting or just noticeably different, but uh, I definitely didn't, did notice it. One of the things we did in in uh, Guadalajara is we went to Puente Grande Penitentiary, um, which is where Felix Gallardo had been held for a while. Uh, El Chapo escaped from the prison, and uh, we were able to go all around it uh, on the outside. It's a huge facility, way more than I was aware of. The other thing I became aware of is that I'd been pronouncing it wrong for about the last year or so, and uh, I won't tell you how I was pronouncing it, but they also said that that there was a little joke when El Chapo escaped because Puente Grande is is the name, and Puente means bridge. Um, <laughs> but they said they used to call it, after that escape, Puerto Grande because Puerto is port. So uh, some some uh, some Mexican uh, language humor there. Uh, I also went to the home of the Zuno patriarch, uh, Guadalupe Zuno, uh, Guadalupe Zuno Hernandez, and uh, he has this house. We'll put some pictures up on the website, and I'll talk about the website in a little bit. Um, but, uh, it was built during the years 1922 to 1929, an amazing house, gorgeous and, uh, very, very interesting to see the, the development of it. The story behind it, uh, gives you a different sense of the place the Zuno family had in Guadalajara. You know, uh, this man was... At one time, the uh, president of the uh, Guadalajara University, and he also was the the uh, governor of the state of Jalisco. So when you put that all together, you know we talked a couple weeks ago extensively about Ruben Zunoarce, but this gives it gave me at least a much better sense of kind of the grandeur, the stature, the importance of the Zuno family. Uh, Mentioned this at the end, too, but took some very, very, very interesting video uh, 
at the American Consulate and at Lope de Vega. We're going to present that uh, in a couple of different ways. Again, we'll save that till the end, but uh, very interesting, very interesting to be at both the American Consulate and at, uh, at Lope de Vega. Did have a small run-in with a Mexican police officer who thought I was filming too much of uh, the consulate itself. He uh, <laughs> was a little bit upset about it. He didn't know how to speak English. I didn't understand Spanish, but I knew exactly what he was saying, and I was very apologetic. So we got through all of that. Okay, let's get back to the topic of the day. Now, again, we were talking about the last narc. And one of the things we talked about last week was just why why are we talking about it again? And, you know, one of the things that we said and we talked about is, you know, if you're going to put out something like the last narc, if you're going to uh, take the time and the effort, if you're going to have it produced by... Uh, Amazon, if you are going to present it as a documentary, that is something that's factual, then you have to get it right. You at least have to make an effort. Remember we talked about Zavala last time, and they put up a picture of Kiki and uh, Jaime Kirkendall with somebody in the middle, and they went, that's Zavala, and it's not even Zavala. And you ask yourself, how in the hell could they not know it's Zavala? How could you get that wrong? And if they can get that wrong, what else did they get wrong? And one of the things that I did find out when I was in Guadalajara is I had more than one person, okay, more than one, tell me that they had spoken to Tilda Russell before, before the last narc was finished, before it aired, saying that things that were being said in the last narc were wrong. Okay. Tiller Russell directly being told, no, that's not right. And being totally disregarded. Instead, he said to at least one person, as I'm told, didn't hearsay, fully admit it. But as I'm told, he said, well, I had to believe Lopez Romero and Godoy and Lira because Hector believes them. So I had to believe them. And if, you know, that contradicts what you told me, I'm sorry about that. Well, the fact of the matter is, is no, you didn't. You didn't have to believe those guys. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that they're liars, that they've been liars, that they were fed information. And again, in my opinion, if you're going to put out something that you purport to be truthful, you got to try to get it right. Okay, let's look at some of the other things that I think are very interesting about the last narc. Let's talk, first of all, about um, the timing. All right, so the timing of the kidnapping. What do we know for sure? We know for sure I don't think there's any doubt about this, that Agent Camarena left the American consulate sometime around 2 p.m. going to the Chinese restaurant to meet his wife. 
and he was running a little bit late, so probably a little bit after two. Okay, so we know that, right? Well, let's let's see. In his book, Agent Boreas says that the um, people picking up Camarena left Lope de Vega at about one thirty. Okay, he says. And I quote, the pistoleros mingled around the hacienda until about 1.30 when someone showed up announcing that they had just come from the U.S. consulate. Everybody hurry up. The lawman is getting ready to go out for lunch. We need to do it now. Okay? So 1.30, somebody shows up from the consulate, says here's what's happening. That's what he said. Put aside the fact that we know We know that nobody else knew he was going to lunch at 2 o'clock because he stood up and and said to Susie Lozano and to others in the the room, oh, darn, I'm late. Nobody else knew he was going to lunch. Okay? Unless, unless, and this has been rumored, unless somehow Fonseca or Felix Gallardo or Carl or somebody else had a phone of Agent Cameron tapped, okay? But otherwise, nobody knew that. But they say they came at 1.30. Now, remember also, remember that around 1.30, you know, Kiki and Jaime Kirkendall were going back and forth across the street to Camelot. Agent Bachelier was still there. Remember all of that timing. But... But again, if we just want to talk internal consistency, page 223 of the book, he says 130, right? Well, you would think, wouldn't you, that Lopez Romero, who says he was involved in Camarena's abduction, would say the same thing, right? Well, he doesn't. He doesn't. How is it that he doesn't? He says... If you go to episode three at 5.13, okay, episode three, minute five, 13 seconds, he says, Rene Verdugo showed up about 7 a.m. and says, uh, the person will come out at noon. We have to be there before then. We can talk about the fact that nobody ever said it was Rene Verdugo before. We can talk about the fact that Lopez Romero didn't testify it was Rene Verdugo at trial. We can talk about the fact that none of the DEA 6 reports from interviews of Lopez Romero says anything about Rene Verdugo. But we won't for now. What we're going to say is, how can these two be inconsistent? You're talking about the last narc, right? The, the title's the same. Hector's book and the documentary, the docu-series, and they can't get the time right? They can't say it the same way? Lopez Romero clearly says it's going to be at noon. Now, what about one other issue on timing that I find curious and perplexing. If you remember, um, throughout episode three, when they're talking about the interrogation, both Agent Boreas 
and Manny Medrano, the former AUSA, both say that he was tortured for 36 hours, that Cameron was tortured for 36 hours. Okay. There's even a screenshot. This is episode three at 2215 where he it says, okay, written on the screen, after 36 hours of torture, Kiki fell into a coma. Okay, how they know that it, he fell into a coma beyond me. But we'll put that to the side. But here's what doesn't make sense. The timing internally is inconsistent. And again, this is one of those things. Tiller Russell's good at what he does. You got to get it better than this. So, Lopez Romero says, and, and let me back up. Remember, there's nice little markers. The one says February 8th, 1985, the day after the interrogation. Okay, so we know exactly what day they're talking about, right? Well, he says at episode three, this is 2158 to 2211. He says that early the next morning, Fonseca receives a phone call telling him that there was trouble, that the gringo was dying. It was around 6, 7 a.m. when we arrived at Lope de Vega. Okay? So that means 6, 7 a.m. on February 8th, the day after the kidnapping, which couldn't be 36 hours later, right? Well, then, at 2229, remember, the, the... Statement from Lopez Romero ends at 22.11, thereabouts. 22.29, so after you have a, a title screen that says February 9, 1985, and shortly after that, they say that Carl told Fonseca that Cameron was dead and Fonseca was, was angry. Again, minor point, all right? It, it doesn't matter. In, to anyone, really, if Agent Cameron was tortured for 36 hours or 24 hours, it still was brutal, it still was unnecessary, it's still a tragedy. But something's internally inconsistent in the way the timeline is presented in the docu-series. And I submit to you that it's presented inconsistently because it's not telling the facts as they occurred. Again, if Lopez Romero, if, if everybody actually knew exactly how it occurred, was telling the truth about it, it wouldn't be hard to get the dates correct, but they don't. And if you, again, if you want to go back and double check, make sure you see February 9, 1985 comes out at episode 3, 229, that's not the same day. That's the day after Lopez says, hey, Fonseca got a phone call and we went over and the gringo was dying. Okay, a couple more things that are, that are interesting, all right? We've talked a lot about Felix Rodriguez. Um, we've talked about the absence of anything. <laughs> Any contemporaneous document that talks about a Cuban, the absence of anybody listening to the interrogation tapes going, that's not a Mexican, that's a Cuban, nothing like that. 
But I want to have you go back to uh, episode four. And again, very nice production value. You know, they start showing clips from the 60 Minutes interview that Felix Rodriguez did. And they show a letter from Oliver North. And the letter from Oliver North says at the beginning, allegedly, hey, after you've read this, burn it. But the reason they're showing it is to show Felix's involvement with the Contras. And that then supports the theory that he was picked up because of his knowledge of the Contras, and that's how Felix got involved, etc. You know, Cam Moreno was somehow found out about the relationship between the Contras, the CIA, and the drug traffickers, and that's why he was picked up, right? Here's what's interesting. Go look at that, that letter. It's in episode four at 634. And the voiceover says, North went on in the letter to recruit Rodriguez into managing the illegal Contra resupply operation headquartered at the Ilopengo Air Base outside San Salvador. Okay, recruit Rodriguez. Look at the date on the letter. It's dated September 1985, seven months later. Seven months after Agent Camarena's death, Felix Rodriguez is being recruited to the Contra effort. How, how, how can a letter dated September 1985 support in any way a motive for an act that occurred in February of 1985? And the answer is obvious. It can't. And it's embarrassing that 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 letter would be shown with a clear intent to deceive when it's obvious if you look when that letter was act- was written. Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later um, in, in some other episodes, but I also am going to present something to you. This is one of the few times when um, we're going to talk about something that's outside the record. I have very, very good information very good information that I'm highly confident in that the first time Felix Rodriguez was referred to as Max Gomez. And remember, that's what Godoy and Lopez and Lira say. Oh, we knew him as Max Gomez. Well, I have very good information that the alias Max Gomez was never used by Felix Rodriguez until it was given to him by a someone in the military in El Salvador in September of 1985. So if he had never used Max Gomez before September of 85, it would be impossible, absolutely impossible for Godoy or Lopez or Lira to have known him as that in February of 1985. And that would seal any, any, possible claim that they were doing anything other than being flat out liars and more importantly that they were fed that information by somebody else okay 
another startling inconsistency. And this is between Agent Breas' book and the documentary. And again, they're both called The Last Narc, right? Agent Breas was the subject of both of them. So, by golly, they should, they should say the same thing, right? Well, remember that in The Last Narc, the docuseries, Breas says that Calderoni told him that Kiki was picked up because he was about to find out about that connection between the Contras, the CIA, and the drug cartels. That's episode four, 1717. Easy to find, 1717. But it's important. It doesn't say that he'd found out. It says Calderoni says that Cameron was about to find out. But the book says... The book is totally different. The book says he'd already found out and that he'd seized assets of Caro Quintero, and that's why he was picked up. And that, my friends, is a big difference. He was about to find out, or he did find out. Now, again, you can say it doesn't matter. He still was killed. But darn it, if you're talking about the motive for an abduction of a federal agent for the eventual murder of a federal agent. That should be the same. That's a big point, and it's not. How do you not get that right? How is that not consistent? I want to talk about the airport confrontation, too. This one really, really angers me. Because the way it's depicted in the docuseries, the way it's described by Agent Boreas is flat out wrong. Okay? Period. End of sentence. Not correct. And Agent Boreas knows it's not correct. Okay, what do we know? Well, Boreas comes out and says, and this is episode three at about the 28, 28, 25 minute mark, 28 minutes, 25 seconds, someplace in there. He says that, you know, the DEA, when when Carl Quintero flew away, said to Pavon Reyes, you know, who'd gone on the plane, talked to him, comes back out. That they said to Pablo and Ray, I said, How, what, what are you doing? You, why'd you let Caro Quintero go? And Pablo and Reyes says, oh, that wasn't Caro. That was a friend of mine. Bullshit. That didn't happen. Absolutely didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Because the DEA didn't know that was Caro Quintero. We know that's not the case. Sal Leva testified to that. Ralph Villarreal was there. He says, no, we didn't have a picture of Carl Quintero until later when one was faxed from Los Angeles. Had no idea who that was. Figured it was a drug dealer because of, of you know, the way uh, he looked and the people he came in with and he had guards and blah, blah, blah. But absolutely wrong to say that the DEA said, oh, you let Carl Quintero go. Sal Leva, again, Sal Leva was 
Hector Breyes' partner, he testifies in federal court, open federal court, and says, had no idea that was Carl Quintero. Didn't have a picture of him. We didn't know who it was. And Breyes talks like he was there, like he knows what was going on. BS. And that story that now may be, you know, may be urban legend. I talked to an agent who was there very recently. He was at the Guadalajara airport. And I said something about Carlo Cantero standing out saying, you know, my children, you know, next time bring better weapons or something along like that. Bring bigger toys, however he said it. And I said, you know, how'd that make you feel? This guy said to me, you know, Jack, he might have said something like that, but I really don't remember it. And if it's between you and me, folks, I'm pretty sure that's something you'd remember. Okay? So I'm not saying it didn't happen, but what I am saying is, is there's no way Hector Boreas knows for sure whether it was said or not. He wasn't there. And it's one of a dozen different times Dozens of different times where Hector puts himself in the place of things that were happening when he wasn't there. Remember, he didn't join Leenda for at least four years after the fact. All right? He knows nothing firsthand about what happened at the airport. I want to talk uh, for just a minute about uh, some things about Machine. You know, one of the things that I found very interesting, again, this, you know, I, I really want you to, to listen to this, think about the stuff I've said, and then, um, you know, if you watch the, the last arc again, watch it with this in, in mind, okay? Um, Hector, in particular, Madrano, to some extent. But Hector, in particular, says things like he was there. And a good example is in um, episode 3, 1813. 1813, episode 3. He says that after Fonseca, he being Hector, says after Fonseca leaves, Dr. Machine starts taking orders from Carl Quintero. How the hell does he know that for sure? Remember, Lopez Romero had said, hey, he left with Fonseca at 7 or 8 p.m. Lopez had been the one who'd been telling him, been telling um, Bereas what was going on. You know, Medrano says that Machine was brought in, he would administer medication to Camarena. But it says nothing about how they would know that. Put aside the fact that he couldn't prove that at trial. Put aside the fact that the U.S. government kidnapped Dr. Machine and then had their case kicked out because all they could do at best was place him at Lope de Vega. At best. But the idea that he knows, Madrano knows that Machine would administer medication to keep... Agent Camera alive longer is a bunch of garbage. 
And again, it's another example, specifically Agent Bray is, but also Medrano, of putting themselves in situations uh, where they were not present and assuming facts or stating theories as facts. You know, there's not one place in the last arc where Tiller Russell, the director, producer, you know, the person behind this, presents any alternative facts, any alternative theories, uh, anything else. Everything is presented as a fact. This is what happened, and we know because... Lopez Romero, Godoy, and Lyra say so. If you're going to do that, then you have an obligation, a moral obligation to get the facts correct and not to present hypotheses or theories as fact. If you want to present hypotheses, if you want to present ideas, conjecture, then do it in an intellectually honest way and say that's what it is. But that's not what happens here. I'm going to reiterate something I've said several times. If Mr. Russell, Agent Boreas, would like to have a discussion about these points and these issues, open invitation. Anytime, anywhere, happy to do it. All right. What is coming up? Well, a couple of things. Next week, we're going to talk about a book that was published in Mexico that piggybacks off of Hector Brez's allegations, both in his book and in the, the docuseries. And we're going to do a little bit of the same thing and show that that book gets it wrong, too. And internally, it gets it wrong. So you've got an entire you know, chain of events. You've got books. You've got DA6s. You've got uh, docuseries. You've got a book, book in Mexico, none of which can get the facts correct. But the reason we're going to go through it again, and the reason it's important is it's the same thing. I told you last time that I had talked to somebody who made an allegation on the news in, uh, I think it was in Florida, and said specifically something about Felix Rodriguez's involvement in Agent Cameron's interrogation. Stated it like it was pure fact. And when questioned about it, said, well, I I didn't check it out. Brea's checked it out, you know. He's a DEA agent. That's what he does. Of course I believed him. And, you know, that is why this is so important. And why another book in Mexico that makes the same allegations but bases everything, everything on Hector Barreas and, you know, Lopez and Godoy and to some extent Lyra. So that's um, something that I think is is important, and we're going to do that one more time. Uh, so that'll be next week when we look at, at uh, that uh, Spanish-language book that had been published in Mexico. 
Uh, coming up, a couple things. We, um, I spent a lot of time in Guadalajara at the American Consulate when I wasn't getting uh, shooed off by uh, police officers much larger than me carrying automatic weapons. But uh, one of the things that we did is we did some very, very precise measurements to try to understand exactly where things were located, how far things w- were away. And we took some videos that are very uh, illuminating. Obviously, this is a podcast. It's a little bit hard to put um, the video on the podcast. It's eventually going to go on the website, but we're also going to put it on a YouTube channel that should be up and running in the next week or so, and it'll be under my name. We'll also reference uh, Camarena, of course, so look for that. I think you're going to find it interesting, and it'll be something that we can talk about. Uh, The YouTube channel is going to mirror this podcast, but it's not going to be the exact same. But what I'm thinking is we can do um, some some more precision conversation. We can have some video, and it'll be easier to show documents and things. So that's the plan. Um, We've also talked in the past about the website. I saw a mock-up of the new website a couple days ago. It's gorgeous. Really going to give a lot of functionality. Going to be very easy to navigate documents, video, podcasts, etc. So looking forward to all of that. So with that, that's our deep dive into uh, the reexamination of The Last Narc, the docuseries, the inconsistencies both internally and between Berea's book and uh, the docuseries. Again, standing invitation to Tola Russell, Hector Perez, anyone else who wants to uh, assert that these inconsistencies aren't inconsistencies or that there's nothing wrong with the allegations presented. Um, And uh, then again, next week, we'll look at the book from Mexico. And with that, I will bid you adieu, say thank you very much, and have a great week. Talk to everybody soon.